Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now I think, well, writing the book has been really helpful just for me because I've had to really think about what my sort of triggers are, I guess, if you want to put that language on it, and what, what my patterns of behavior are and thoughts and really address that stuff. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen, and this week we're talking to Rick Samada, who is a columnist, funny person, former actor, presenter, and he now has a new book out all about his own mental health journey called I Never Said I Loved You. Along with being funny, it's also very honest about depression, which might be a bit unexpected. Well, it came out of a piece I wrote, uh, I guess, three or four years ago, where I, I wrote about turning 30 and Having, I was in a major depression at the time and I was living with my mum and I'd stopped working and I'd split up with my partner and everything was going very badly. And then I, I took this trip with my mum because she she wanted to take me to Australia to go scuba diving and then to Thailand to see him. And she introduced me to all these new things for my 30th birthday to sort of just get me away from myself, I guess, a bit. Um, and yeah, it was a sort of awful trip, awful trip, awful trip. And then it turned into this amazing trip where we kind of communicated for the first time in a long time. And I was able to open up about things to her and ask her about her childhood and realize that there'd been problems with mental health in our family that I didn't, didn't know about, which sort of explained things to me a bit more. Um, and it was sort of a turning point in my life. And I wrote this article and it seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And so then I got asked to write this book and, and I, I saw it as an opportunity to kind of put to, Bed some of the demons from my past that I think had been like hounding me for, for all my life really and try and make peace with my childhood experiences and things that I'd experienced growing up and um, the unraveling of my mental health through my 20s and I wanted to sort of make my peace with it and 
kind of address those issues and then move through them and start again in a weird sort of way, yeah, with a new a blank slate. So that's why I wrote it. Do you feel like you've done that? Yeah, it really does feel like my life is is divided into before this and now it's like a whole new like the page is blank now and I can I don't feel like um, dragged down by those old issues in the same way because I've I've looked at them and I've named them and I've owned them and I've accepted them and now and now I feel much freer even though I, I don't I still have depression and I still have these problems and I still have regrets and all the rest of it but just admitting them and owning them is like a, a huge the old cliche a huge weight has been lifted and I feel so much freer and more open yeah what are some of the key issues that came out during that trip and then later writing the book? So in that trip was specifically, I talked about having depression and then my mum told me about her mother who who I'd always thought had been, uh, I thought my mum, my grandmother had died in childbirth. And it turns out that actually she had very severe depression. And I guess um, she was invalided for a lot of the time that my mum was a young child and so my mum had to raise her siblings and so my mum knew intimately what depression was and what it can do to someone and that sort of retreating from the world and um and her mum wouldn't really leave her room much and couldn't raise her children and she lost a lot of her children and so she had she had grief on top of that all these things that I didn't I didn't know and I thought all my feelings of depression and sadness had sort of come from nowhere and that I was this freak and an aberration and a disappointment to everyone and so that was a huge kind of realization and eye-opening moment that actually this stuff comes from somewhere and it runs in families even if you don't know it or if you don't talk about it it probably is there and then later writing the book well a lot of issues came up particularly to do with death anxieties for me Uh, I've always sort of been preoccupied with death and so I had to really think about that and the panic attacks that I had that went with that and um, childhood trauma I had to think about a lot and my relationship with food and eating disorders, which I've been affected by. Um, and racism was another big thing, that early messaging of of, racist, of racism and realising that, oh, there are a lot of people that don't want me here and how what that does to your self-esteem and your self-image as a child. So it was really kind of a big haul through all this like dark stuff that I've been carrying around and not really realising that there was so much. I was like, oh, no wonder I've been, I never have any energy and I can't really make my way in life. And I'm just feel like I'm always doing things wrong and nothing's going right. And I'm a disappointment and a failure because I've got all this stuff that I'm not really acknowledging, but it's still like a big part of my psyche. So it was a huge amount, but, but really confronting that stuff and explaining and talking about it. There's just something about talking about things, even if they're hard, uncomfortable things really kind of takes the, the weight out of them or the sting out of them because you're not carrying a secret and that's that can be the most dangerous crushing thing um so yeah there are a lot of issues that came up in the actual writing of the book and also how to and also how to write a book which i've never done before which is not good for your mental health what was the process of writing it like because like you say there's the anxiety of actually writing a book and it being is this going to be good can i actually get it done etc and then also you're talking about a lot of heavy traumatic stuff what was that like for you? Were you getting help during that or? Um, well, I have a therapist. Shout out to my therapist. Um, 
who was I when I realized I had to write this book, I immediately went out and <laughs> got a therapist. Good. Yeah. Um, so it was well, just write, as I said, writing a book on its own is incredibly stressful, and I'd never done it before. And when they said eighty thousand words, I was like, I write features that are like a thousand words or columns, which are like seven hundred, eight hundred words or five. I'm like, I don't think there's that many words in the language. I think you've made a miss. This is a typo. Um, no, they're like, no, talk about your head for 80,000 words. I'm like, that just feels impossible. I don't know what to, what's worth saying at that length for starters. Um, so how I did it was I was given a year to write it and I wrote two chapters in that time. And they went back to them and said, I can't do this. And then they said, just keep trying. Maybe we'll give you a few more. Uh, we'll give you another year. And they sort of pushed the launch back. And I realized that I'd been trying to, package this stuff in a way that was too simplistic or too uplifting, but without having earned it, like it wasn't truthful enough. I was trying to be sort of optimistic and say, oh, it's, you know, it doesn't define you. You can, there are things you can do. You can go exercise, you can do therapy and like, like it was too easy. And actually the truth is so much more complicated than that. And so I realized I had to tell the truth about all my own experiences which are really hard to think about. But if I didn't do that, I couldn't write an honest book and no one would want to, no one would be interested. So that was very hard to kind of confront that stuff that I'd never told anyone in my life, including my mother, including my best friends. Yeah, to sort of put that on a page. I did it by pretending like it was a diary, like no one's going to read this. I can be as honest as I can because no one's going to read it. And I... It's like it's like a kind of splitting. You're like, I have to pretend that no one's going to read this because otherwise I would never do this. Mm. It's a mad thing to do, to share your deepest secrets. Who would voluntarily do that? Um, but I had to because there was a contract that I'd signed. Um, so I did. And now oh, I'm really worried about it. <laughs> yeah, how does it feel now that it's out there? People have people are reading your darkest, deepest thoughts. It's funny. It seems to have connected with a lot of people. And I was really genuinely terrified that, you know, I'm talking about all the things that I'm most ashamed of in myself. It's not like palatable, cutesy depression talk. It's like my darkest thoughts. And I really thought there's going to be a lot of backlash and maybe I'll have no job and I'll be homeless and people will spit at me in the street. But actually, it's weird. The things I was most worried about and ashamed of people, I guess people relate to the honesty of it and they people write to me and say they've it's not even out yet but people write to me saying they found it really useful and and telling me their stories and it's kind of this amazing realisation that the things we think keep us alone are actually the things that connect us to everyone but we're not talking about it How does your mum feel about the fact that you've been public about this because obviously you had those private conversations a while ago but then yeah it's all coming out in the open She texts me throughout the week to tell me she loves me and she's very proud of me um and whatever i need to do to make peace with the past she's completely behind and supportive of and she thinks it's great and i said i'm going to be writing about you and so you might be in the public eye a little bit she's like great it's about time <laughs> I'm like all right <laughs> has she been getting fan like fan letters yet from people who've read it um well it's not out yet so yeah. so no but i get a lot of people saying can we is your mum coming? I was like, no, yeah. why would my mum be coming? I think be prepared for the fan mail. Because like, <laughs> you just read it and you're like, this woman is brilliant. <laughs> the way she speaks, it's just great. 
I can definitely imagine people being like, screw you. I just yeah. talk to your mum. She talks like Yoda and she's yeah, very she's, uh, brilliant. she's very positive and she's always like, she's very weird. She's a very eccentric woman. She's always picking up new skills and like teaching herself millinery or Italian literature or graffiti. And I'm like, well, you should be, you should be retired by now. Why <laughs> you should be doing crochet in the back room. Why are you so full of life? Um, no, she's an incredible woman. She taught me a lot about how to grieve actually, because my father died a few, well, when I was 26 and uh, I was really worried about my mum. I thought she would sort of wither away and just be this kind of broken woman. And actually it was the other way around. I really sort of withdrew into myself and didn't know how to deal with life anymore. And she sort of committed to to embracing life and teaching herself new things. And and she still works and she, she's got this appetite for life that really showed me that there can, there can be life after the death of a loved one. Um, yeah, she is amazing, but... But people do always want to meet her. And I'm like, you know, I wrote the book. I'm the one. Sorry, I don't know why we're all <laughs> pretending that I'm not great. But she is great. What was your relationship like with your mum kind of before you opened up to her about this stuff? Did you ever feel like you were holding things back? Were you worried about being honest? Yeah, I mean, it's. I still find it hard to be completely honest with. I'm a very um, introverted person. I don't really talk that much. I spend a lot of time on my own. And particularly with parents, when I was young, yeah, I didn't really want them to share my life. I didn't want them to know things about me. So it was always keeping things in, not sharing, not being open. Yeah, that's, that sort of was our relationship, which isn't really a relationship. Um, so now it's better and I tell her about my week and ask her about her work and people in her life. And it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's a relationship. So that sort of was the beginning of that, is learning to talk. You have kind of dredged up a lot of the difficult stuff what now how do you because you can't just kind of put it all back in the box what are you doing now to look after yourself and make sure that you don't kind of descend into a pit essentially um, <laughs> big question well, if, yeah well if i descend into a pit keep a diary is all i'm gonna say to mm-hmm. myself um now i think well writing the book has been really helpful just for me because i had to really think about what my sort of triggers are i guess if you want to put that language on it and what what my patterns of behavior are and thoughts and really address that stuff. So now, for example, I try and have discussions with myself, which sounds quite mad. And I've said it out loud, but like, if I'm feeling down about something, I'll have to sort of rationalize it. I'll be like, okay, well, um, you haven't been sleeping very well this week because, because of the heat wave, you're just not getting enough sleep and that, you know, that has a massive effect on you or, or you went out four nights ago and you were drinking and you're still probably not really, that has an effect on you, you know that, or, um, you know, or someone said this mean thing to you and that's probably still lodged in your head somewhere and just try and understand what it is that's going on with me. So it's not just like, oh, I'm awful and the world is fucked and everything's on fire and there's nothing to live for because that's how it feels. But actually like, no, that's a response to these other conditions and situations. Sort of talk myself out of it. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is I know that I have to uh, work against my natural instincts to be alone and not talk to people and I have to uh, make time to see my friends and I have to leave the house even sometimes and I have to um, do things that aren't work, do things purely for pleasure that aren't just watching TV but um, going for a walk or um, exercise. Uh, I hate to admit it because people are bang on about exercise. It's so boring but um, it is really vital i think to um to move our bodies is there a particular thing that you're into 
Yeah, I'm really into swimming now. Oh, yeah, especially in the summer. Because, yeah, because the thing about sports is I don't, I'm, like I keep saying, I'm very introverted. I don't like people. So it's good for me to find things I can do on my own. Um, well, maybe it's not good, but I like it. Uh, so I was running for a while, but I took it too far and I ran too far, too quickly and uh, buggered the cartilage in my knees. And a uh. physiotherapist said, don't do that. Never do running again. I was like, never do running again. So then I just didn't move for about uh, four months. I was like, oh, I'm very fat and unhappy now. Uh, so I was like, how can he just destroy my life with just one throwaway piece of advice? I thought, oh, but I don't want to ruin my knees. But then I discovered swimming. I was like, oh, so it's no impact at all, but it's working your whole body and you can do it alone. It's even better than running because you're under the water. So you're really sort of sensorily distant from the world and you're kind of, it's like this whole other serene realm of being under the water. And I love that. Mm, it's and quite so, zen, isn't it? It's have very you, zen. Have you done deep like scuba diving as well? That's really lovely, I find, because there's no sound at all. Like yes, that mm-hmm. sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. Although, apart from so your breathing, the breathing would yeah. slightly mm-hmm. freak me out. Oh, okay. So on this own trip to Australia with my mum, she wanted me to go scuba diving. That was like a big present to me. So we got there to the Barrier Reef, and they said, "So we're going to go scuba diving now. If anyone's got any asthma, obviously tell us because you can't go." And I thought, well, I'm not going to tell them because I didn't know this was a problem, and now I'm on the other side of the world. Imagine if I come literally the other side of the planet. And I'm going, no, I can't go. I've got asthma. Um, so I didn't say anything. So I went into the water in the scuba tank, in the scuba gear, and I was like, well, I'm going to die now. This is how I die, with a sea cucumber. Um, so, I, yeah, the thing about breathing is slightly freaks me out. But it wasn't. A, but I didn't die, weirdly. And it was an amazing, incredible experience of just being in this otherworldly alien realm with this kind of strange new beauties. And, yeah, this music of its own. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling. But I did read another thing about no, I heard a thing about free diving. Do you know that? Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. meant to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's this thing where apparently, so I think it's to do with the pressure, but when you're diving down, um, your body wants to rise all the time. So you're fighting against it and mm. fighting against it. It's harder and harder the deeper you get. Mm-hmm. But then there's a certain point, I think it's like a specific level, where it's, it flips and your body starts to get sucked down. Oh my word! Okay, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying, isn't it? Oh, it's terrifying, so but I, I feel a bit. That all the time. I do kind of feel like, oh, I've obviously never done it properly because I thought I'm quite a good swimmer. And I've done lots of diving and stuff, but that's never happened for me. I think so it's now quite I'm deep. Like, mm, you have to be like, it must be very, very deep. Down. I don't know if that's something to aim for or not. Really, it sounds no, quite exciting. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> sounds very scary. But the thing about exercise that I like um, is that it's particularly when it's not competitive thing like um, team sports is is you're, you get a little bit better every time mm. and you're not in competition with anyone else. It's just for you. How do I get better? So you're working on things. So like in swimming, I'm like, I'm going to work on my arms today or position on my head. So you're working on little things and you get a little bit better. And that yardstick of progress is such an important one to feel in our lives. Like I'm good at something or I'm getting better at something all the time and have that self-esteem that's built around something that's not work or mm. your you know relationship or other, other things. It's just for me. Um, yeah, I found that. I think that's a really valuable thing about exercise for me and for other people. Mm. Communication and connection with people and team sports is their way, and that's also brilliant. Yeah, not to shit on team not sports, to shit on team sports, but they're not as good. But they're just <laughs> not as good. Are you on any medication, or have you been on any medication? Yeah, I've been on. I'm not now, uh, mm. and I realised I I never I was never comfortable on it. Mm. So I've been on. I forget all the names like sertraline, citalopram, fluoxetine, um, all the classics. But I just never, in fairness, I never gave them enough chance. I always came off them after a few, like a fortnight, and mm. you meant to leave it more yeah. longer than that to mm. really sort of 
accumulate in your system. And I just, I didn't like the idea of it. And I didn't like the idea that I had to medicate myself to be normal. It was really uncomfortable for me. And again, it's tricky because you don't want to, whatever any whatever helps anyone is that is like is right for them and for lots of people these lots of my friends tell me these are lifesavers for them and i'm so happy that they they have that that route but for me like medicalizing the way i felt mm. just felt so disempowering to me and it wasn't what i wanted to do for the rest of my life um so i so i found talking therapy much more helpful so so i tried cbt and that was very useful for like emergency situations but an ongoing relationship with a therapist where you're really going into the roots of your stuff and your issues and where they come from and some sort of techniques that, well, not techniques, um, yeah, just accepting things about yourself and and who you are and accepting that maybe they're not, they're not problems. You just need to accommodate them somehow in your life. Mm. I found that the most growthful and helpful thing. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry about bashing pills because we're both on meds so we'll do the opposing okay, like great. that's a great yeah I mean it's interesting to have the different perspective yeah. really because yeah most usually we're just like yay pills just because mm. I'm on mood stabilizer and they've been a sort of a lifesaver for me and yeah but I totally get that you know some mm. people won't be keen and you know that yeah they're not for everyone but. yeah but it's such a neat it's such an emotive thing people yeah, have a really strong usually. opinions yeah like, some people are but I think it's like what you say it's just different things for different people. I think if you really? find yeah. something that works, just stick, yeah. stick with it. Yeah, stick with it if it works. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, if it that's, helps. Yeah, the ability to live your life is the end goal, hopefully, of all these things. So whatever the road is, mm. walk that. Just go for it. Yeah. So as well as your excellent book, you've also got um, your regular column that you do for The Guardian, uh, which mm. is wellness. Uh, is it wellness and wellness? Well, or wellness, wellness or wellness. Or wellness, <laughs> sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is great. And it's really interesting because we sort of talk about wellness a fair bit sort of on this podcast because we're i think we can sort of say to say we're sort of slightly skeptical about the mm. the concept aren't we I'm, if it helps people yeah it's good but if it's sort we of, had someone on the other week who does like crystal crystals healing. i heard that one that yeah. was interesting yeah i was a bit <laughs> that was you trying to be I, polite I, I, for I'm 25 more minutes open. yeah <laughs> i'm more, more, like, I'm more no. sort of science where's your science where's your <laughs> clinical trials bring me the trials on these crystals before you yeah so um so you've tried out loads of things yeah um what have you learned from that nothing <laughs> <laughs> you don't i was just wondering if you had like sort of like some standout um things that you sort of found from it um or stand up no, no, really. I've learned that we really we're so hungry for answers at the moment mm. we think like technology is the answer to everything so we kind of we're trying to quantify everything and like we're counting our steps and we're um like we're tracking ourselves throughout the day and what we eat and how many minutes we sleep and is it the right kind of sleep and um and it's a strange sort of kind of quasi religious fixation we have that technology can save us and that we're sort of sinners and we're incomplete and insufficient and like we need to put all our faith in this these numbers and these systems and it's really strange and counterintuitive to me and i think wellness is probably just well, well a sense of well-being is probably connected to really simple things like having good relationships in your life and people that don't make you feel bad about yourself and eating properly and exercising and drinking water mm. but you can't really sell those things so there's mm. this whole market that sprung up and you know i'm very very but it's such so a huge market, isn't it? I, I can't imagine. I just imagine you must get like bombarded with like all these gadgets and things every week. Just mm. all these these random things. Has there ever been sort of one you've just been like, 
yes, this one's amazing? Or is it just sort of they're all sort of, you're all sceptical? Definitely not with the gadgets. No, no gadgets have been like... Oh, there was a bed of nails, which loads of people were really interested in. I read that in. one. Yes. Yeah, and we had someone on the podcast talking Madeline. about... Yeah, yeah she loved it. How yeah. She liked that. Yeah. Yeah, weirdly, I did like that one. I wasn't expecting yeah. to, but it... Yeah, it was good. It was the good. idea of that is, I think, probably harder to take than what is... And we should probably say for listeners that weren't listening to the other one. So it's not actually nail nails. Like, they're not... They're not no, but by all means, make your own. <laughs> they're, um, they're not metal nails. They're plastic like, nails, yeah. aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they look like... Um, yeah, like, like upturned bottle caps, mm. but plastic. Mm, that's a good... On a small yoga mat. description. Mm. Yeah, and it's meant to sort of increase circulation and... It's like acupressure. Calm. Yes, mm, but yeah. like sort of... It's like a sort of literally a blanket approach to acupressure where it's just like stimulating all of your back. But it does really, no, it's a nice feeling it and it nice. did, make, did help me sleep better. And people ask me the most about that one, of whether they can borrow it. I think they're quite trendy as well. Mm. That's the yeah. thing. But I have to say, yeah, I, it, yeah, with your review of that one, I did think, oh, yeah, that might be quite nice. But then you had the whole thing about, but then you have to sort of stand up and then the pressure goes on to just one bit. And I thought, oh, my word, that will be yes. horrendous. Spread, and I don't think I could take that bit of pain. But, if you yeah. spread the, yeah, the surface area has to be spread out. As soon as it's like you're getting up, it's on one spike. That's, mm. that's, that's hellness. The rest of it, wellness. <laughs> Yeah, so what, what you really need is like like people lifting you down yes, onto it. Ho- and a then, hoist system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pulleys and a team. Mm. I did um, weighted blankets the other week and that was oh, quite yes. popular as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. People are quite, some people are like, this sounds awful, what the hell is it? And other people are like, that's what I want. Well, I've heard they're quite, um, not necessarily popular, but they're kind of recommended to people with autism for some reason. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the sensory. That, yeah. yeah, there's something about the, the sensory, the press that mm. it's meant to be relieving to, of anxiety and soothing and mm. and i definitely feel that like at night even if it's hot i really like something pressing down on me mm-hmm. ideally like a, a duvet mm. but you know it's difficult when it is well but there is something about sort of being slightly incapacitated <laughs> a tricky territory to get into but it's very nice <laughs> yeah i think for some people it does really speak to, they really feel that need to just be pressed down mm. and it is soothing yeah, mm. I think it's like having an animal in your lap. Yeah, the, the weight, oh, yeah. the weight, and the warmth, and the Anything yeah, there. you're not moving around. Mm. It's very calming. Being like swaddled, like that's a therapy I think in Japan, still where you can go and be swaddled as an adult, which sounds yes, I have the wrong images in my yeah. head, but I know you're <laughs> saying something. <laughs> Maybe the right ones, <laughs> um, but that's you know interesting. But I think you're right. It's just people feeling absolutely awful and just looking for anything that will work and an yeah. answer. Um, and I think part of what you've discovered or what you, you know, express in your book is maybe being comfortable with not necessarily knowing the answer Yes. or knowing that bad stuff has happened, but just having to accept it. Yeah. I'm so glad you picked up on that because that's, yeah, the whole thing about me wanting to, I tried to write the book. I was like, I need to have like a pat narrative that's like, this will help. This Mm -hmm. is how I cured my depression. I was like, that's not the truth. Like. Yeah, I. What's worked for me is making things better, and knowing that I won't be cured. I just have to accommodate these things somehow and understand myself more in these moods. But they're with me for life, so I might as well try and almost make friends with them. You know, understand them and accept that we have a relationship. And that's been really that's most of the weight that's lifted. Yeah, being able to talk about it and not feel ashamed about them. Those are the. Those, that's what's helped me. Yeah. I think my final question is: You're also very funny and I think with a lot of people who are funny and especially funny for a living 
it's difficult for people to know when they're not feeling great. How are people able to recognize when you're going through a rough patch or are you very skilled at using humor? How do well, you balance very, that? Well, there are quite subtle signs of me, so I'll tend to write an entire book about it and then just mm. distribute it widely with a whole PR campaign behind it. Um, no, you're right. It's, we're very good at that's where it comes from. We're masking the sadness. We're trying to still be liked because we feel ashamed of what's really going on. So you, you learn to, to please people and to charm people. And that's where it comes from. So it's a very socially enabling thing, but also it means that there's a screen and you can actually feel lonely in that. Um, no, I think if you're really committed to hiding it and you're a skilled liar, <laughs> let's say, um, it can be almost impossible. That's why the emphasis is, the onus is on you mm. if you want help to really to take that brave leap and just ask for it as honest as you can because people aren't going to pick up on it all the time. Also, ask your funny friends if they're doing okay. Like, I think they if, won't tell you. No, maybe not. <laughs> no, but do ask. Because like, yeah. I think honestly, if you read someone's <laughs> review of an egg machine, which obviously we have to mention on the podcast, I um, wrote a review of an. Oh, that's one yes, you write. That's right. what I'm referring to. <laughs> um, no one would read that and be like, "This person might also have depression." But it's worth asking. I feel like. If a man is reduced to reviewing kitchen gadgets in yeah. his late 30s, he's There's... definitely got depression. Fair. That's a good rule to follow. <laughs> good rule to end on as well. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally, 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 Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring. They're on 116123 or you can find them online at samaritans.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate and review on iTunes and come hang out with us on Facebook. We have a group called Mentally Yours. We're also on Twitter, MentallyYRS. Thanks very much to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker for our jingles. See you next time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.